Um, all right, so it's the autumn feast. It's, it's the autumn feast time. We are, we're here to feast and celebrate. If you're, you're new here visiting, it's always like this, always dinner afterwards. No, not, not quite. Um, three times a year, uh, we, we have a feast. We celebrate uh, before the Lord, um, and we follow these, these three biblical feasts. There's, there's three times a year where God set out uh, times for, for gathering together and celebrating before the Lord with, with feasting. Now, there's three seasons, I would say. Uh, the, the first season takes place in the spring, and, and it's what, kind of the time where we would call Easter, right? Uh, so in, in, that, in that time, there's actually three feasts that make one festival. There's Passover, there's the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and then there's the day of first fruits or the celebration of first fruits. Now we know that, that Jesus was crucified on Passover, that he was in the grave during uh, unleavened bread. And that he was raised to life on the feast of first fruits. Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection of the dead. And just like Jesus has been raised, we will be raised too. So that's the spring festival season. Now Moses set aside those exact days 1,500 years before that moment. But, but still, that, that's a celebration time. The second celebration time we call Pentecost. But it's, it, Moses would have called it the Feast of Weeks. And it uh, takes place about 50 days later after the, after the Passover season. This is the third one. This is the third one, and it's the most significant and, and most talked about of all the festival seasons in the Bible. Uh, it's often called the festival of, or the feast of, um, festival of ingathering, I think it's called in Deuteronomy, I think. It's called the, the Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Booths, the, the, the Feast of Temporary Dwellings. This is, the, this is the autumn one that we're celebrating now. So, so three times a year, there's these festivals. Now, at that time, God's people were commanded to, to come to Jerusalem, to gather together, and, and, or at least all the males, to gather together to celebrate before the Lord. Now, not everybody could make it there because of journeys and, and all that kind of stuff. So if you could only make one feast, if you could only make one celebration a year, this was the one that you made it to. This was the ultimate of, of all the festival seasons. It was a time of joy. It was a time of, of celebration. The most sacrifices are going on during this time. The most significant, um, some of the most significant biblical events are taking place during this festival. This was the big deal. It was, it's a crime, basically, in, in our generation that, that this is the most forgotten of the feasts. For, for now, I've got good news for you. This will not always be the case. Uh, the Bible tells us that in the end times, Zechariah 14, the whole chapter of Zechariah 14 is all about, in the end times, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles and, and all the nations coming together to, to Jesus and, and to worship Jesus, to, to celebrate um, him during that feast as King of Kings, Lord of the Angel Armies. So someday, this, this, this feast is making a comeback. We're just early adopters uh, here. I think we're the only adopters at the moment. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a good time to, to celebrate. So this feast is going to make a comeback. You know, there's, I said there's lots of Bible events that take place during this feast. For instance, the, the tabernacle. Uh, no, temple. The temple that Solomon made was dedicated during this feast. It, it, all, all that's going on when, the, when the, the cloud comes and fills the temple and then the altar is lit on fire, like all that takes place during 
during this feast. Some other ones that you may not clock, though, there's, there's several of them, but something you might not clock is that like Sam, Samuel, Samuel, one time a year, his family were gathering together and they, it would, this would have been the one. If they're going to celebrate one, this is the one. And they would come together and this is where he was given to the high priest Eli to be adopted into their family. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah, they lead a revival, a, a reading God's word. That takes place during this, this time. Lots of events take place during this, um, this feast. There's lots of them. So when it comes to this autumn feast, there's four characteristics. Um, I'm just going to blaze through them quickly. First of all, there's a special offering and lots of offerings during this feast. This is the all nations feast. The, 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 you know, the, this is the time where the invitation was not just for Jewish people, but all nations to come and, and gather together, to gather together um, the all nation feast. Thirdly, this was the joy feast. Like, it, it was commanded, this, this celebration commanded a week of joy. Like, a whole week. You're commanded to, to, to celebrate with joy for a whole week. That's seven days. Now, some of you are thinking, seven days of joy? That's impossible. I can't even, I can't even concoct seven minutes uh, of joy, let alone uh, seven days, Brian. Uh, what, what is this whole joy thing? Is it like joy on the inside but not on the outside? I'm so happy right now. You know, is, is, that, is that the joy we're talking about? I mean, I, I look like I'm miserable, but I'm actually joyful somewhere deep down. I don't, I can't, I don't even know, but because the Bible says that I am. Uh, you know, that, that kind of joy. No, no, no. Biblical joy is a, is a state of gladness, like actual gladness. It's, it's a state of, of happiness. <laughs> happiness. That's biblical joy. And the thing is, you, you may assess your life and be like, I, there's no way. I couldn't, I couldn't do seven days of joy. I can't even do seven hours of joy. But God knows that you do have the cap capacity for that. He, he knows that, that people, even without the Spirit, we're talking Old Testament, people without, that they can, they can have seven days of joy. They have the capacity for it. And they can do that in faith and, and in obedience to God. Okay, but what if we're grieving? Yeah, you can, you can have joy for seven days while you're grieving. What, what, if, what if life seems too hard? What if, what if the seasons of, of life seems too difficult? You don't even know the challenges that I'm under. I know, but still, it's possible, even for you in this season, whatever it is. And you're like, how? How, how is that even possible? Well, this celebration is about lifting your eyes up. It's about lifting your eyes up off of the, the trials that you're going in, off of the disappointments that you're going through, off of the troubles that you're experiencing, and instead seeking to spend a few days, just a few days, delighting in grace, delighting in what God has done for us who believe. God just commands once a year, once a year, now, I know that Paul says, you know, rejoice in the Lord always, and I'll say it again, rejoice, and, and, and there's other things, but, but when it came to the Old Testament, this once-a-year command to focus on him for seven days with intentional happiness and joy, no matter what's going on in your life. You can get back to the moaning and the grieving and, the, and, all, the, and, all, and all the stuff that, that is, there's a place for grief. There is a place for grief. There's a, there's a place for, 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 for being sad about um, uh, 
bad things happening in life. And there's, there's a place for that. God just asked for seven days of joy. He also likes that. He wants us to set aside that time. So one week, choose joy. So that's thirdly. There's always joy, part of this celebration. Fourthly, uh, this is a celebration of judgment, grace, and, the new, and new beginning with God. Judgment, grace, new beginnings with God. So um, I didn't explain this uh, very fully yet, uh, previously, but this autumn festival actually has three feasts in it, like the spring one, Passover, uh, unleavened bread, first fruits. Um, this autumn one has three as well. And it starts off with uh, the Feast of Trumpets or the, or the Day of Trumpets. And, and that, that was the first day of this feast. And the trumpets would blast at different times throughout the day. And, and it was considered the Jewish New Year. And so often, actually pretty much always it's called Rosh Hashanah uh, as opposed to the Feast of Trumpets. And, and this would be a time where they would signal in the New Year. But also with this trumpet blast, it was a signal for the nation to gather. And maybe even the nations to gather. To gather before God because he was about to judge the nation based on how this last year went. He was about to judge the nation and either grant them grace and another year or bring them into a time of discipline. So that's what's going on. So the, the day of trumpets, it started off with this, this or starts off this 10 days uh, that has become called, has come to be called the, the days of awe. These days of awe and respect where people, people from all over the nation start gathering together, start journeying to Jerusalem for Judgment Day. For Judgment Day. And you know, like if, you're, if, you're like, if you've got 10 days warning for Judgment Day, what are you going to do? You're going you're gonna to put on your, your best, you know, best face, your best foot forward. Um, you're, and that's what they were sort of doing. They started to be like, uh, super hospitable, super kind. No, you first. No, 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 you first. No, no, you before me. No, no, you before. Yeah, it, it's, it's all that kind of stuff. And, and uh, super generous. You want, you want some money? How about a hundred? You know, like, you, you, you want a hundred? How about a million? I don't know. They're just over the top with generosity and all that kind of stuff. They're trying to, to get this kind of favor because they're like, they're about to stand before God as a nation, and, and, and they're going to have that moment, and so they're, they're doing all these extra good deeds, trying to maybe curry God's favor as he's about to evaluate their last year. So, so the, there's these feasts, the Feast of Trumpets, they all have like historical connections, but they also have future connections. We are expecting at the last trumpet, the dead in Christ to rise. We are expecting Jesus to return at the trumpet blast. And so you have this sense of, of the return of Jesus connected with with uh, the Feast of Trumpets. Okay, so Feast of Trumpets is the announcement that the nations are to gather because judgment's at hand. And then, 10 days later, was the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, and that's where the high priest, and only on this one day a year, the, 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 uh, would, the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies for, for that moment. And, it, and he would go in there with um, blood, and he would sprinkle the blood. This only happened one day a year. Sprinkle blood on the mercy seat, which is, on the, is right on top of the Ark of the Covenant. You've got the angel wings right, right there. Sprinkle the blood. Now, they would tie a rope around the high priest's ankle in case God strikes him dead. They could drag him back out again. But, but they would go in there, and, and the, the question hanging over that moment, this is the moment of truth. Will God grant grace to the nation for another year? 
or is his discipline and wrath? How, have, we, have we crossed the line and are we about to go into a, a season of judgment? We, we, we celebrated this as a church uh, with, with a fast. Actually, this is the only day in the, in the Bible where every year you're supposed to fast in, in the Old Testament. The only day a fast was commanded year after year on the Day of Atonement. We, we, we fast. Why do we fast? Because we're thinking about that future day when we all stand before God and, and the books are opened and, and, and our lives are evaluated and, and, and the sheep and the goats are separated where, where people, where it's being determined is, is the blood going to be applied to our lives and are we going to receive grace? Will God re accept the grace, the blood of Jesus on our behalf? Now, we don't have to freak out about that or worry about that because Jesus has a book. And, and we're going to read it. We're going to find out about this in, in our study of Revelation in just a few weeks. But Jesus has a book with all the names of the people um, that belong to him. And so on Judgment Day, that book is going to be open. And those who have given their lives to Jesus, God is going to accept the blood of Jesus on their behalf as we stand before God. And we will receive grace and mercy and be welcomed into uh, this great new eternal beginning with God. Now... Those who haven't given their lives to Jesus, those who have refused to give their lives to Jesus, well, their names aren't in the book. I mean, they had the opportunity. God said no. Uh, or they said, no, God, I don't want to submit my life to you. I don't want to follow you. And so their names are not written in that book, and they stand before God, and that blood will not be applied on their behalf. And they will not receive grace on that day. Now, for the Jewish people, assuming, let's assume, for instance, this year that the, the high priest goes in there, sprinkles the blood, and they were granted grace. They were granted grace uh, on, the, on Judgment Day, on the Day of Atonement there. Then they were given a new beginning with God as a nation. And, and they were given a new year, and they were going to start off that year forgiven. God had accepted the blood uh, on, on their behalf, and so they, they get a new beginning. After receiving that grace... After receiving that grace, they were commanded then to rejoice and celebrate for a week. For a week. And, and part of that was to make temporary dwellings to live in. Uh, why, why are they doing that? Well, um, because they were remembering that they had at one point lived in temporary dwellings while they were wandering in the wilderness. And during those years, God had promised them, and even before that, that he was going to someday bring them into the promised land. And so they make these temporary dwellings to remind themselves that there was a time before God had fulfilled his promises to them where they were wandering in temporary dwellings. But they got there. They got there. And God did do exactly what he promised. And so they, they recall that in those temporary dwellings. For us, we look forward to that future day where, where after we've appeared before God and after our name has been found in the, in the Lamb's Book of Life, then we get our new beginning with God forever and we see that God is, is going to keep his promises. He is going to keep his promises. We, we have a, a temporary dwelling, this body, uh, this, this life. This is temporary. And instead, we're going to receive our eternal, our, our eternal realities um, on, on that day. On that day. God is going to keep his promises. 
think about this celebration to kind of understand this, this week of celebration. So you have the Feast of Trumpets, 10 days later, the Day of Atonement, and then you have a seven days um, Feast of Tabernacles, a seven day celebration, which is kind of like a wedding, a wedding celebration, an, uh, a Jewish wedding celebration designed like that. Um, you can think of the imagery in the New Testament of, of the, the, the great marriage supper of the Lamb. That's, that's kind of what's being celebrated during this, this feast season. Okay, now, if you're new here, if you're new here and you're, and, and you're like, okay, this, I, I, I appreciate, Brian, all that Old Testament, and, you know, wow, that was just fantastic, but it's still, it's still weird. I, I, I've not heard of this. Um, I, I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know about this thing. Well, I'm going to write you that the food is free, so it's okay. Stick around. But, but also, I want to remind you that, that not only is this, this, this feast uh, celebrated in the past, and not only is it promised to be celebrated in the future, Zechariah chapter 14, Jesus himself celebrated this no matter how dangerous it was every year. In fact, several of the events in the Gospels take place during this feast, like when Jesus stands up and he says, I am the light of the world. That's during this feast. When he stands up and says, anyone, if anyone is thirsty, should come to me and drink. That's during this feast. There was a time where Jesus' brother says, oh, hey, why don't you go to Jerusalem? And, and, and because they didn't believe in him. And, they, and there, there's that kind of, inter- that was leading to this feast, this festival. And Jesus, although it was dangerous, he shows up to celebrate it, just like he does all the celebrations. Okay, so this is the why. This is why we're feasting today. This is why we're, why we're celebrating and why we want you to all stick around. It's kind of a big deal day. Now, on Sundays recently, we've been talking about some of this end time stuff. We've been, ta- we've been going through the book of Revelation. In fact, we're quite a bit of the way through. We've we're, uh, we finished chapter 6. 17, and now we're moving into chapter, no, we finished chapter 16, and now we're going into 17 and 18. Basically, next week is Babylon Sunday. Woohoo! We're going to talk about Babylon and, and the fall of Babylon. So we, we're, we're quite a ways through the book of Revelation. And we've been seeing, as we've been going through this book together, um, God's special protection of his people. We've been seeing that, that God marks his people, and he, and he seals them, and, and he protects them, and, 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 and how he, he, for those who stand and, and, and don't give in, those who believe and obey and, and don't compromise, like, he has this reward for them. And, and so you're reading about God's people and, and his affection for them. But one of the things that doesn't come out very clearly in the book of Revelation uh, is stuff connected to how uh, God's great love for his people. You, you see a lot about God's strength, about his might, about his intervention, but not a lot about his love. Now, Revelation's only 22 chapters, and I told you last week that there's 150 chapters in the Bible connected to the end times. So since it's not coming out really strongly thus far, I want to remind us as we're going through this end time study and as we're celebrating these feasts connected to the end times, that God very much loves you and and that he has a very strong affection for you. I'm going to say something to you and it may irritate your heart. You you might want to resist it in your heart. It's true, but I'm going to give this a go. So, I'm going to say to you this. God thinking about eternity, God has an eager joy himself 
when it comes to him thinking about spending eternity with you. We, we tend to not think about it that way. We tend to think it the other way around, like, oh, I'm, just, I'm just happy to be here, God. <laughs> you know, thank you for your grace. I, I, I'm glad that I'm here while wow, I get to be here in your presence. But does God actually have a positive thought about me, about me spending eternity with him? Is that true? I just have some doubts, right? That's how we can feel. Okay, let's just think about this. How much has God done for you to be with him in eternity? Now, when it comes to heaven, we got the gospel. We know what's going on here. God sent his son Jesus to make a way for people to go to heaven, for anyone to be forgiven and saved but the thing is, nobody really wants to give their lives to Jesus. They like the idea of living for themselves, not submitting to Jesus. And so not only did God the Father send his son Jesus to pay the price, he also, on Pentecost, sent the Holy Spirit. And it's when the Holy Spirit came that he was able to convict the world, that he convict the world so that they would respond to the gospel of Jesus, so they would give their lives to Jesus and be saved. It wasn't just that Jesus made a way, he also sent the Spirit so that people would respond and give their lives to Jesus. Now, it's for this reason that God makes some pretty big claims about believers, not just believers in general, but if you've given your life to Jesus, it's specifically connected to you, to you. How God has chosen you. He's picked you to be with him in heaven forever. Now, some of you are like, chosen? Mm, uh, I don't know, chosen. Okay, just, just take your Bible, not right now. Take your Bible, start with Romans, look, scan through the first chapter then 1 Corinthians, scan through the first chapter. Just go through all the books of the, of, of the New Testament from Romans on. Scan the first chapters and see what it says about chosen, being chosen. Over and over in, in most of the books, you're going to see, whoa, there is a sense that I have been chosen. I've been chosen by God that, to be in heaven, that, that I'm wanted. I was picked to believe in God. I, I, I am especially cherished. Guys, God created you. He, made, he created everyone. He made everyone. He made everyone, but before you were even born, he picked you. He didn't pick everybody. He picked you to be with him in his heaven forever. He picked you to know about Jesus, to believe and be saved. He wants you, he picked you to be a part of his family, to be a part of his family, to be adopted into his family. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. He's happy about that. He chose you. So he's happy that you're a friend of his son Jesus's, says the Bible. He's happy that, that, that you are a, a brother or sister to, to his, his son Jesus. He loves it that you are in his family. Now, I get it. You might be focused on your unworthiness. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm just not, how, how would God be happy with me? I, I'm so unworthy. God's not preoccupied with that. You are. He's not, um, he's not preoccupied by your unworthiness. He sorted that 2,000 years ago. That's like so 2,000 years ago. 
He's, he's, not, he's not preoccupied by that. You're, you're hung up on this. You're like, oh, I'm not. Uh. But God's like, no, I, I dealt with that on the cross. Your, your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You, you, are, you have been washed. You've been clean. I, I've sorted all of that unworthiness with Jesus, with my son. I've taken care of that. You are my beloved, special, chosen child. And I'm, I'm, I'm delighted that you are going to be with me forever. And it, it, it's his joy. It's his joy not only that he adopted you, but he connected you permanently and, and spiritually in the most significant way that he could by giving you his Holy Spirit, his very spirit to be inside of you, to, to dwell in you permanently as a seal and a guarantee of your salvation forever. In, in his joy, he, he's given you his spirit to, to, to help you, to guide you, to encourage you, to, to, to cultivate the attributes of God, like love and joy and peace and patience, all those kind of things. It's his joy to make you a new creation being. You're no longer just human once you've given your life to Jesus. You are a human with the powerful presence of God permanently now within you. Something that no unbeliever has. It's his joy to see you freed from, from sin and slavery to, to death and instead to shower you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. You're loved. Like you are actually loved. God loves you. I, I know that I say this every week. I, I get it. I get it. But it is, you have to know this. You have to believe this. You're, you're cherished. He's delighted that, that of all the people who have ever lived, all the people that he's ever created, that you're one of the ones who gets to be with him forever, and he loves that. I wish that you could see you through the eyes of God. I wish that you could see you through the heart of, of God. What would happen? If you could understand, if you could perceive just how God really does feel and think about you. I, I see thousands and thousands of self-loathing Christians. People who are Christians, but they, but they don't like themselves. They, they don't like who they are. They, they, they don't like things about them. And they, they just wrongly view themselves. They're like, I wish I wasn't me. I wish I was someone like them. I wish I, I was like that. I, I wish I was bald like Brian. You know, like, the things like that. And... Well, I don't know why we're laughing. I, I, there's like always, always something. The God who knows you way better than you know you, the God who loves you so much better than you know you, he thinks and knows you're beautiful. He thinks and knows you're beautiful. Now, some of you are like, no, not me. He, he, he knows. He made you. He made you. He, he loves it that I have no hair. He loves that. Like, like, he's, he's, he's like, oh man, that, that's so great. Well, I, I'm like a, I'm like a, uh, I'm, I'm like a, a, a tangible prophetic statement. I can reflect the sun, right? You know, everywhere I go, I reflect the sun. I reflect, and people, you know, that, that's the job of the Christian. What's the job of the Christian? To reflect the sun. I see that in Brian's head, right? Living prophetic. Why would I want to cover this up with hair? That would be a tragedy, Oh, but you know, the thing is, like, so many people, that they have things about themselves that they just wish were different. They're like, I don't like this. But, but, God, but God did. And, and he, likes, he likes that. Oh, I hate my hair. I hate my hair. I wish I had this. 
like, no, 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 Like, I wish you could see God. I wish I could see, you could see you through the God who made you in this, in this amazing way. My, my guess is that, yeah, that, that, that many of you struggle with that, with, with, with being like, this is how God made me, and I'm going to rejoice in that. The God who made you also thinks you're brilliant, just as you are. Now, I, 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 do, I do have a little bit of atypical brilliance going on up here, uh, meaning no good at maths. You know, maths was not my thing. I didn't, I, where I grew up, we didn't even call it maths. We called it math. That's how bad it was. So just no good, no good at maths. Um, no good at writing. If you're not good at maths or writing, then school's not really probably someplace that you're thriving. Uh, I, but I wasn't made for maths. I wasn't made for writing. I was made for speaking. And so I could have listened to all the, all the teachers, and I had a teacher that said, you're never going to amount to much because you can't write. A teacher. Hey, who, who, who listens to those lies? We don't listen to those lies. We have our eyes on Jesus. It doesn't matter what I'm not great at. What did Jesus make me for? Oh, he made me a different kind of way, to, to, to speak. My, my, my father's dyslexic, my brother's dyslexic, and, and you hear all the lies poured about them because they weren't very good at school as well. I failed the dyslexic test. That's how bad I, I, I wasn't dyslexic, apparently. I, I, I couldn't even pass that. But, but they're brilliant. Dyslexics changed the world. Like, history is filled with nation-changing, world-changing dyslexic people because the way that they're wired, their minds are wired differently and, 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 their, and their, their gifts are just differently. You can't believe what people are saying about you. You've got to believe what God's saying about you. And yet, so many just buy the lie, buy the, buy the, the, the general accepted definitions, which are just not true. God made you special. He made you unique. He thinks you're wonderful, just as you are. He, 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 lo he, he, loves, he loves you, and, 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 and he, he loves, you know, like, helping you. He loves giving you little hints and little guidances, and, and wow, that was lucky. God's like, wink, wink, you know, that was lucky, huh? Yeah, uh -huh, yeah. He, 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 loves, he loves blessing you in, in those kind of ways. God's crazy about you. And it makes me crazy to think all, about all the Christians who have this low view of themselves who wish they were someone else who wish they were more like that person. I, I, that's just so disturbing. God made you you. God made you you. Just stop. Just stop. It's good. He made you good, and, and, and he loves you so much. Now, if you, could see, if you could see you through the eyes of the one who picked you, the one who chose you to be in eternity with you, the one who, who chose to reveal his son in you and through you to your generation. No, no matter what challenges you're going through in, in your life, if you could see the way that God sees you it, through his eyes, through his heart, then you would have so much joy. You, you would be like, what? Only a week of joy? Ha! No, I can, I can do this for seven, seven, uh, seven months. No, that's too small. Seven years? I don't know. Seven lifetimes. You know, like... Is it seven days only? If you could see yourself accurately through the eyes of your, of the God who loves you and made you, the challenge for this week: only seven days of joy. That's it. 
Seven days of joy to seek, to believe how much God loves you, to ponder that future day when you get to, to enter into eternity with God as his, as, his, as his family, as his son and daughter forever, as you get experience that, that post-judgment day, grace and mercy, uh, to celebrate over these next seven days with thankfulness that the God who made everyone picked you. So amazing. And you're like, I don't get it. I don't know why he picked me. I know me. I don't, I don't know why he picked me. Because it was his pleasure to reveal his grace through you to your generation. You're exactly who he wants for now and for forever. It's amazing. It's, it's so hard to wrap our minds around grace. So hard to wrap our minds around that. If you've given your life to Jesus, you're kind of a big deal. And it's okay to smile about that. With, with thankfulness, with joy, with joy. God's with you. He's going to be with you forever. And, and he loves that. Now, maybe you've had a difficult year. And you're like, man, I just don't feel like God feels that way about me because I have had a really horrible year. Or a really horrible couple years. How, how could God feel that way a, a, about me and yet I've had a horrible year? How can I live with joy based on this last, this last year and how terrible it's been? In fact, it, it, as, a, as you look forward maybe, you're like, if nothing changes, it's going to be awful. I, I am dreading what's going to happen if, 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 nothing, if nothing changes. Okay, for today and for these days, just stop. We're not going to focus on on the pain of this last year. We can get back to that after the feast. We're not going to focus about the worries of tomorrow. We're just going to delight in God's grace and love for us today. That's, that's what we're going to do. We're going to set aside just for a short period of time to, to focus with joy, meaning a state of gladness, a state of happiness, God's grace, his mercy, and that new beginning that we get with him. It's amazing that Jesus made this possible. It's amazing that the Holy Spirit has revealed this to us. And so we're going we're gonna to give joy a, a try.